This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. We have another preview episode for you guys on this Wednesday morning. Uh, we got Patrick Brown from Go Vols 24 7 getting ready for Georgia's last SEC game of the regular season. Georgia getting ready to play Tennessee on Saturday afternoon, 3.30 Eastern Time kick. Number one, Georgia, number 18, Tennessee, going to be a, a very interesting game, even though the stakes aren't quite what we thought might have been uh, attached to this game. Uh, still looks like it will be a very exciting game. So I uh, want to join and uh, welcome Patrick to the show. Uh, Patrick, how is this Wednesday morning treating you as we get ready uh, for what I think will be a really entertaining game on Saturday? Uh, it's a good Wednesday morning. It's uh, it's a beautiful mid-November day here in Knoxville. The foliage is always excellent, uh, and the view of the mountains is really good on this sunny day. Hopefully uh, for you and, and Georgia fans, if you guys get it to drive up, you'll get uh, the scenery of East Tennessee as you as you make your way to Neyland Stadium. Fingers crossed. I'd definitely be looking forward to that. So let's get a feel for this Tennessee team, Patrick, going into this game. Tennessee is 7-3, and three, number 18 in the latest college football playoff ranking. Coming off a really tough loss to Missouri, just what's the vibe around this Tennessee game, Get around this Tennessee team, getting ready for this game, knowing uh, that they've got quite a challenge on their hands playing this Georgia team? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's probably the lowest point, uh, maybe vibe wise of the season. Uh, Tennessee just played really, really poorly against Missouri, and uh, the twenty nine point loss, thirty six to seven, was the final. It was the largest margin of defeat that the Vols have had under Josh Heupel. He's in his third season. This was his thirty sixth game, I believe, uh, and they just didn't play really. They really just didn't play well in any phase of the game. That was a top fifteen matchup. You win that, even if you you know, lose to Georgia or, you know, don't have the SEC East on the line in this game this weekend, you still have a chance to go nine and three and, and potentially uh, get that 10th win in, in in the bowl game. And and that's a chance for you to have back-to-back double-digit win seasons, which, I mean, it's probably not happened at Tennessee and probably since maybe the, the late 90s, I guess. And that was when teams were playing 11 games in the regular season. So um, they, they kind of just – they played their worst game of the season. And so – uh, there's maybe not a lot of hope right now um, coming off that game. Um, it, it's been sort of a one of those kind of frustrating seasons. Obviously, Tennessee went 11 and two last season. Everybody was riding that high throughout the off season, and um, this has kind of looked like an eight and four team really since I think September when they went down to Florida and lost. Um, you knew that that 
to get this game to have uh, you know all the all the talk in the offseason about the SEC East and and Tennessee's players and coaches from Josh Heupel to, to some of the team team's veteran leaders they were open about it at media days saying we're we're taking aim for the East we didn't win it last season that's what we're you know trying to get to Atlanta you have to you know you have to win the East to get to Atlanta. Uh, and we knew that with this game, with Georgia coming to Knoxville, that, you know, the division was going to run through the Bulldogs, obviously. But Tennessee had to do its part to get this game to have uh, implications for for the division title. And they weren't able to do that, obviously. Uh, had they won last week, you could have pointed at the Florida game, the second half at Alabama. And now it's just kind of, uh, you know, they're looking at an eight and four season because they play Vanderbilt to close it out. And it's like eight four is not a. It's not a bad season, but it's not one that's going to get everybody excited, especially after you just won 11. So that's kind of the vibe right now. But, you know, we'll see how Tennessee shows up. They're obviously a much better team at home than they are on the road. And uh, if they're able to keep the crowd in it, maybe this game gets a little bit more exciting and a little bit more uh, has a little bit more drama than, than maybe the spread and maybe some of the the feel about it this week uh, might might suggest. Looking back at that Missouri game, you know, anyone who watched Georgia play Missouri could see, you know, the Tigers are very talented. And it seemed like for at least a half that Tennessee-Missouri game was very competitive. And then it seemed like Cody Schrader got going, and, and that was basically all she wrote. When you look at that Missouri game, is there anything that you see that may, you know, sort of replicate itself against Georgia? Things that Tennessee struggled to do against Missouri that we could see pop up on Saturday? I mean, where do you start? I mean, that was a uh, it was sort of an all systems failure. Uh, it was kind of weird. You, you touched on it that it was it was a competitive game. Tennessee was driving late in the third and early in the fourth down two scores. Uh, I'm always of the thinking that if you're down two scores, you're you're still, quote unquote, in the game because you're kind of one play away from being one play away. So it was 22 to seven. Tennessee has a, a run that gets down into the uh, I think it was going to be first and goal and they have it called back for couple holding penalties that were a little uh, let's let's just say they were a little bit less egregious than what Alabama was not called for in the Tennessee game um and then they had a uh another drive that was I think inside the 40 and, and it was sort of a weird play where Joe Milton went to throw on an RPO and he hits the running back running back's arm kind of flings the ball down the field it's a fumble Missouri recovers and, and they went down to score the touchdown that sort of sealed the deal with about six minutes left but um yeah I mean the defense will start there they gave up season highs and Yards and yards per play. I think Missouri had 530 yards. Uh, obviously, Cody Schrader had 320 on his own. Uh, the biggest issue, I think, on defense was they just could not get off the field. Uh, Missouri was 11 of 17 on third down. Brady Cook was really effective, escaping the pocket, getting outside the pocket, scrambling for, for some of those third and long plays. They were able to, you know, a couple of them were third and shorts where they were able to just run it. Um, and then I think Tennessee kind of wore down because uh, at the end of the third quarter, Missouri had run 21 more plays. They had a 20-play drive in the first half. Tennessee ranges three plays in the first quarter uh, on offense because Missouri was just controlling the ball because Tennessee's defense couldn't get off the field. And uh, I think Missouri's been the best offense probably that, that Tennessee has played. And um, Georgia's probably going to be right up there too with their ability, with, with really their balance. Obviously, Georgia can throw the football with with Carson Beck and, and Brock Bowers and uh, some of the, you know, Lad McConkey and some of those other weapons that they've got on the outside. And, and they can run the ball as well with that big offensive line. And, and now, the you know, the running backs are starting to get get it going. And uh, it's probably the worst time for Tennessee to play Georgia just because Georgia's finally getting all of its all of its players back, sort of gearing up for that that run for that third title. So, uh, and offensively, it was really just turnovers and, and sort of a continuation of what's been a problem all season is that Tennessee's been able to move the ball uh, on offense, but without the explosive plays that they were just so good at last season, 
with Hinton Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and, and those guys, they, they've really struggled to sustain drives and finish drives. Uh, their red zone touchdown percentage isn't very good. Uh, I think last week they had six drives, maybe seven drives into Missouri territory, and, and they scored one touchdown. Um, and they just, you know, th this offense is not as good as last season's to where if they get a holding penalty, if they get a false start, if they get penalties and, and other things, sort of self-inflicted mistakes, they can't overcome them because they're in first and 20, first and 15, what have you. So um, that that's it, it, all of those things sort of played together in that game where it was kind of one of those deals where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, and, and obviously it sort of exposed some of the, the flaws that this Tennessee team has. I think defensively, if you can block their defensive line, both in the run game and as, as a pass rush, Tennessee is one of the best teams in the SEC in terms of sacks. Uh, but if you can block them, you can throw on, on their secondary, which obviously was a big liability last season. Um, and, and offensively, if you can shut down their run, Joe Milton in, in this past game and these wide receivers have not proven to be good enough to, to make you pay consistently. They might make some plays and move, this, move the chains on you from time to time. But um, it, it's if you're able to keep Tennessee from running the ball and, you know, Tennessee's has the had the uh, best rushing offense in the SEC. I think they might still do, um, but they're seven and zero when they run for two hundred yards. But when they don't throw in three, so that's that's you know two hundred yards is a lot on the ground, especially against good defenses. So uh, that's sort of where this this team is, and uh, sort of all the shortcomings that we sort of seen in bits and pieces throughout the season. They all kind of showed up in Columbia, and Tennessee's got to find a way to minimize those and and try to fix them, or at least like I said, minimize them to have a chance of being competitive and staying in this game against Georgia. I want to ask you about specific parts of this Tennessee team. And let's start with that run game. They've been super productive. And it, it sort of from the outside seems like it's like a three-headed monster with what they've been able to do at running back. What makes this team so good at running the football? And, and what are the strengths of those guys who get the majority of the carries? Yeah, I, I think you have to start with the scheme. This isn't an offensive line that's just going to run it straight at you, line it up, put the ball on the ground, and and run over you. Um, it's not really smoke and mirrors either. They just, the way they, they spread the field with their offense, their wide receivers, uh, they, they make defenses sort of commit. Are you going to play with six in the box with your four down front and, and two linebackers? Are you going to shade a safety or, or maybe a, a nickel uh, into the box to sort of support? Uh, Missouri kind of switched up how it plays defensively, and they played a three-man front uh, with really sort of a 3-3-5 three, three, where the third linebacker was a safety. And they started, you know, they kind of shaded guys toward the box at the snap. And if they read pass, they bailed into into his own coverage. Um, but most teams are are have been willing this season, I think, to sit in six six man boxes and uh, and say we're just not going to let you home run us down the field, which is what Tennessee was so good at last season. So they're playing with two high safeties, and, and Tennessee a lot of times has been able to run the football that way. Uh, Jalen Wright's the, their best running back. He's uh, his growth over the course of, of his career has been really fun to watch where he's he's always been a guy that had some physical traits but now he the mental side of the game is is where he's really improved where he has a really good feel for how blocks are developing he has the ability to show some patience and some hesitation moves that can sort of make those second level defenders whether it be a safety or a linebacker commit to a gap and he you know he finds the other one and gets to the second level the offensive line they have a, a variety of schemes they use in terms of how they block pin and pull they'll pull tackles they'll pull guards the tight ends are heavily involved and have been pretty good um, in that part of the game. And so, you know, when, when that execution is there, they're able to get those running backs. Uh, you know, Jalen Wright and Dylan Sampson are probably the main two that are able to get to the second level and, and make guys miss. And uh, when you're able to make guys miss, you turn 
you know, four and five yard runs into 10, 12, 15 yard runs. And that's where Tennessee's been really effective. Jabari Small is the other guy. He, he's maybe not as dynamic as the other two, but this sort of a steady veteran guy that they have. So um, that's why I've been able to average over 200 something yards a game. But uh, again, if you're able to take that away, whether, you know, you're playing seven in the box or you're able to win up front, which is what Missouri did, really regardless of, of what alignment Missouri was in, they were better on the defensive line. Their defensive line was uh, really gave Tennessee's offensive line some trouble. But so if you can do that, you have a chance to, to slow this run game down. But, you know, for the most part, for, for a lot of the season, Tennessee has been really effective with their schemes and, and those running backs getting to the second level and, and making things happen. Joe Milton came into this season with a lot of hype. You know, there was a lot of preseason, you know, people sharing highlight videos, showing off his big arm. What have you made of the way Joe has played this year, his strengths and the things that, you know, have been uh, you know, things he needs to improve on? Uh, I think Joe's biggest issue is that he's probably following Hendon Hooker. You never want to be the guy after the guy. And, and Hendon Hooker was certainly the guy for, for Tennessee really the past two seasons. And uh, Joe has a big arm. Um, it, it's just really not clicked in the passing game for much of the season. Sometimes it's been him being inaccurate or, or making wrong decisions. Sometimes it's been his receivers not making plays for him or not getting open. And, and sometimes there's been you know protection breakdowns where they have something open downfield, but Milton is gets hit or he's off his spot and, and can't make the throw. Uh, he's just really been inconsistent, I think is probably the best way to put it, from game to game, from uh, half to half. Even you look at the Alabama game, he was excellent in the first half in Tuscaloosa probably gave Tennessee what they were expecting and hoping for all season. Um, you know, he had the Orange Bowl performance. I think that probably led to a lot of the hype, that and his ability to throw the ball 80, 90 yards. Um, you know, that that's that's obviously exciting stuff. And, and you think about when you have a quarterback like that, that the possibilities are endless. But, you know, he's just not been as uh, consistent as maybe they'd hoped. He, he's he, You kind of got a baseline for him in the first few games where he can he completes 60, 65% of his passes for 200 something yards and a couple touchdowns. You know, he, he was effective as a runner for a stretch there. He had a couple games there. If you throw in the Alabama game and, the, and when they played at Kentucky, he was really good uh, where he was accurate. He was efficient, wasn't turning the ball over, which is sort of popped up at times as an issue for me. Obviously, had a couple turnovers, including a pick six last week. Um, so, you know, but teams are defending him a little bit differently where they're trying to take away those downfield shots and, and maybe playing a lot of zone. Missouri played a lot of drop eight last week um, when, when they converted from how they were trying to, to defend Tennessee's run game. So um, he's just been sort of inconsistent up and down. He, he's not been, like I said, he's just not hitting hooker. And I, I think there were some hopes that he could be a little bit like Hendon, even though they're different quarterbacks. Milton's more of a pocket guy. He's not a big runner. Hooker was so good at making something out of nothing a lot of times, but that's not really Joe's game. And, um, you know, he, he's miss, you know, he's not seen the field well sometimes. Uh, there's times where he's really e efficient running the offense and getting the football out to where it needs to go and on time. Um, there's been times he's not made accurate throws and has, has thrown the ball in the coverage too. So uh, it's just sort of up and down where, you know, one drive, he'll look great. Tennessee's been really good to start games this season. I think they've had touchdowns on uh, seven of their first uh, – on opening drives on seven of their ten games. So they've been good to, you know, at times, but then they just kind of go into lulls and, um, you know, make mistakes that, that you know, he's not really, when other parts of the offense aren't clicking, he's not been able to really elevate him and, and pull Tennessee out of it like Hendon was so good at doing. You mentioned Tennessee starting game strong. That's going to be something to watch on Saturday because Georgia has really struggled at getting stops on opponents opening drives. I uh, wanted to look at the receivers. You lose a guy like Brew McCoy during the season, obviously a huge loss. Who has stepped up at receiver uh, in the time that he's been out? 
Well, it, it was starting to be Dante Thornton Jr., who was a, a transfer from Oregon that Tennessee was really excited about. They thought he could be sort of a replication of, of Jalen Hyatt with his speed. He's, you know, a 23, 24-mile-per-hour guy. Uh, according to him, that's what they said. They clocked him at Oregon last season uh, during a game. And uh, his first season has just been not um, – he just had a hamstring injury that kept coming back, hurt him, you know, bothered him in spring, bothered him in camp. I think he missed the South Carolina game. Um, and he was working in the slot behind Squirrel White, who was the next guy behind Jalen Hyatt. Squirrel obviously played really well in the Orange Bowl, had some good moments last season as a freshman. Um, but when Brew McCoy went down, they started Chaz Nimrod, who's a redshirt freshman, there for a few games, and they slid Thornton from the slot outside. And he had put three really good games together. Uh, you know, he had a, a couple of big plays against Kentucky uh, in his first start for, for Tennessee there. Had a good uh, – caught a, a pass to convert a third down against UConn for – that was an explosive play. And then he makes a great play last week against Missouri where he fights back through a through some coverage to, to haul in a touchdown pass. Makes a great catch, kind of pulls the ball off the turf. Uh, but unfortunately, he, he hurt his ankle, I think, on, on that play pretty bad and was uh, on crutches and in a boot. And he's not going to play the, the next two games. And, and the, you know, they'll see what he, where he's at for the bowl game. So that was starting to be the guy. Um, and now he's hurt. So uh, Tennessee's not very deep at wide receiver. Uh, and they've not been very good there this season. Squirrel White's probably been their best guy out of the slot. He's a a, a small guy. Georgia recruited him a little bit late in the cycle after he had uh, had a big senior year for his team. I think he's from outside of Birmingham. So um, Georgia and Auburn were a couple teams that that tried to push for him late coming out of high school. And he's probably been their best guy. Ramel Keaton was a guy that stepped up last season for for Cedric Tillman, um, but he's not been as good. And then, uh, like I said, they've they've sort of struggled to replace Brew McCoy, who was sort of their uh, their bully ball kind of guy out, out on the perimeter. Um, but even then, you know, the, the, the pass game was just not clicking early on. And then, um, you know, they, they've kind of struggled at receiver at times with drops and guys not getting open or making plays downfield. So uh, in terms of this game, they're going to be looking at Nimrod or, or another Richard freshman, Caleb Webb, guys that I think the staff likes, but there's just not a lot of experience. And now you're going to be asking them to go up against guys that are going to be in their face. We saw how physical Georgia was with Tennessee's receivers last season that was a huge difference in that game um and it's going to be a tough challenge and and you know obviously i think they're going to need squirrel white to have a big game to have any chance and uh, we'll see if they scheme anything up get the tight ends involved um but certainly this receiving core is it's pretty thin now when you take brew and, and dante thornton out there anyway they didn't have a lot of numbers there and and now they've got two of their top guys and, and it was a shame for thornton to get hurt because he was finally starting to kind of turn the corner and build some confidence and, and make some plays for tennessee Joe Moore Award semifinalists were named on Tuesday. Georgia was one of those teams. Tennessee was also one of those teams for uh, being up for the award for the best offensive line in the country. How would you evaluate how this offensive line has played to this point in the season? Well, I think they're. I think them getting nominated for that award is is notable. Uh, there were probably some Tennessee fans after how the offensive line played against Missouri who were a little. Confused maybe by it. Uh, they obviously didn't play great in, in at the line of scrimmage in, in that game, season low, I think 83 rushing yards. Um, but when you're, you know, top two leading the SEC in rushing, uh, Tennessee's only given up, I think, 16 sacks all season. When you have numbers like that for the offensive line, it, you know, that's such a tough position, a tough unit to evaluate. Um, you know, those things are going to stand out and probably get you on in a situation like that. And I'm not saying that they've played badly. I actually think it's probably a credit to how they've been able to piece it together because, uh, they had it last season. They had Darnell Wright at, at right tackle. He was the number 10 pick in the draft, all-SEC player. Uh, they had Jerome Carvin, who was a 40-something game starter at left guard. 
they lose those two guys. And, and it seems like this season they've had to sort of piece it together almost every week. Cooper Mays is, is there, you know, was a preseason all SEC, all SEC center. Easy for me to say. Uh, he didn't play in the first four games after uh, he had to undergo a her hernia surgery. Cooper Mays obviously would be a familiar name for, for Georgia fans because he's Kay's younger brother. Um, he's a senior. And, and since he got back, Tennessee's played better. But, you know, they've had guys in and out of the lineup throughout the season. I don't. Uh, let's see. I want to say they've started seven or eight different guys just through injuries, and they've had to make adjustments in game. Uh, they've had a guy in Dane Davis who was a former walk on that had to play center early in the season because they didn't really have a lot of options there behind Cooper Mays. And then he had to finish the Alabama and the Texas A&M games at right tackle because guys got hurt. So uh, they just sort of had to piece it together. And there's been a lot of moving pieces. And, uh, you know, we talked about Milton earlier. He's been up and down, but he's, you know, there's been a lot of moving pieces and a lot of guys in and out of the lineup around him at, at wide receiver and offensive line too. So that's, that's sort of hindered this offense and kept it from coming really close to what they were last season. But you know, this offensive line that, you know, they, they can execute pretty well in the run game at times. They can be physical at times and uh, their pass protection, I think has been okay throughout the season, but um, certainly they'll be looking to bounce back as the rest of the team will. But um, you know, I think that them beating that award, I think was, was probably a credit to, to what they've done this season, even though, uh, they've been second best, I think in the trenches in, in each of their three losses. And obviously they're going to face a tough challenge in this game on Saturday. You look to the other side of the ball. What is Tennessee's strength on defense? Uh, what do they do well this season? And who are the names that Georgia fans should keep an eye out for when it comes to the volunteers defense? Yeah, it's it's the defensive line. You kind of touched on it earlier. If if Tennessee is able to stop the run and affect the you know affect the quarterback, that's that's where there's that's where this defense is at the best. I think they're second in the SEC behind Texas A&M with 33 sacks. Uh, their best guy off the edge is James Pierce Jr. He's a sophomore, sort of a breakout season for him because he didn't really play a whole lot on defense uh, a year ago as a freshman, um, but he's been pretty good. He's probably been their best guy. Tyler Barron is a guy that. Plays defensive end, will slide inside in some pass rush situations. He's been pretty good as well. They brought in Omar Norman Lott, uh, a transfer from Arizona State, I think has brought some good things uh, to that front. And then they've got a lot of guys back, Amari Thomas, Bryson Easton. Uh, Elijah Simmons has been healthy. He's a big guy uh, in the middle there. And so uh, when that group is playing well, I mean, that you know Tennessee's defensive line dominated against South Carolina, Texas A&M, and were probably the main reason that, that the Vols were able to win those two games uh, because they were able to just, you know, the quarter, you know, Spencer Rattler, uh, never had time to get comfortable. Max Johnson took a beating that day in Neyland Stadium. Um, you know, and he, he seems to take one every week now uh, behind that A&M offensive line. But um, that, that's the strength of this defensive line. And, and if you can block them up front, though, um, you know, this, the secondary is susceptible. The linebackers have been up and down. They've had injuries there, too. So uh, in the secondary, they lost Kamal Haddon, um, who had emerged as their best cornerback. Uh, midway through the season, lost him against Alabama, and, and I think they've missed him over the last few games. Um, you know, this defense was, you know, they were able to shut down Ray Davis uh, a couple weeks ago for Kentucky, held him to 42 yards. Obviously, Cody Schrader shredded them last week. Um, I think Missouri had like nine runs of 10, 10 plus yards, which was kind of uncharacteristic for what we've seen from Tennessee's run defense, which went into that game leading the SEC. So, um, but if they're able to get back to, to stopping the run and, and getting pressure on the quarterback, that's where this defense is at the best. But uh, really over the past handful of games, that's been a little bit hit and miss. And uh, I think the defense has kind of suffered for it. Take a quick break, come back and look specifically at this matchup, what we expect to see from the Bulldogs and the Volunteers on Saturday afternoon. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Well, Patrick, starting with the injury front for Tennessee, what, what does it look like? We've talked about some of the guys who are out really more long-term for the balls, but uh, what is the injuries of note going into this game, maybe some guys to keep an eye on for Tennessee? Yeah, we, we've touched on a few of them, uh, Jordan. The uh, Some of the longer-term injuries, obviously, maybe the, one of the newer ones is, is Dante Thornton Jr., wide receiver, who's not going to play after getting hurt against Missouri. Uh, they'll be starting a couple of redshirt freshmen, one one or two of them, uh, or one of two of them, I should say, uh, in his spot. Uh, Tamir McDonald is a guy, another guy who went down last week uh, against Missouri early in the game, looked to kind of – he made a tackle and was sort of favoring his shoulder, did not return. Um, they're hoping to get him back this week. I'd probably say he's going to be questionable at this point. Uh, Josh Heupel said earlier in the week that, that they were hopeful that he could uh, have a chance to play, but Heupel has been sort of uh, – uh, inconsistent maybe with injury reports as a lot of head coaches are. Uh, there's maybe a couple of, there's maybe another injury in the secondary that, that Tennessee may have to, uh, uh, to deal with, but this is a team that's, you know, their injury list has continued to grow throughout the season. And, um, I think John Campbell jr. Is another guy maybe on the offensive line to look at. Uh, he, uh, I don't think he finished the game against Missouri. He got banged up against Kentucky. They held him out against UConn the following week. He started against Missouri, but not sure he finished that game. So he's another guy that that's, Maybe a little banged up at this point of the season, as a lot of guys are. Um, it's just kind of the nature of SEC football. But uh, we don't get to see practice during the week. And, and Hypo, like I said, is a little uh, uh, un, you know, not exactly forthcoming a lot of times with injuries. So uh, sometimes there will be things that pop up on, on game days that, that we have to monitor and, and keep a track of. But uh, this team's dealt with injuries all season, and, and they might have a couple more uh, to deal with when they get to this game on Saturday. For the folks who follow the Bulldogs, that is nothing new uh, when it comes to, <laughs> to keeping the injuries uh, tight, uh, close to the vest, that's for sure. Um, when you look at this game, Patrick, what has to go right for Tennessee? What does what do the Vols have to do to have a chance to win this game? If you want to give a score prediction, you can. Uh, if not, just what has to go right for Tennessee to have a chance to pull off a really big upset? Yeah, this is uh, definitely a uh, kind of shock the world situation for Tennessee because you're coming off a really bad performance and, and you're playing a team in Georgia that seems to be hitting its strides, got all its guys back. Uh, you know, people probably thought Ole Miss could give them a game last week and, and Georgia just sort of flexed its muscle and reminded everyone that it's Georgia. Um, and so uh, I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest advantage or, or biggest hope for Tennessee is that uh, that the, that the, that the atmosphere is a big difference. It was a huge difference, I think, in this game last season. Uh, Georgia's crowd really brought in that game. I think Tennessee had, what, seven or eight false starts. Tennessee's offense never looked comfortable. They were just sort of, uh, I don't know if it was stage fright for being the number one team. 
uh, and being in that game, I don't know if it was just the, the the shock of maybe the noise, like this is really loud and it's overbearing. Um, but that's what Tennessee needs. I mean, they need this crowd to to get Georgia off its game a little bit. It, and Tennessee has to play well enough to keep the crowd in the game. So, you know, if they start well, you know, get up a touchdown early. Tennessee took its opening drive down against Georgia for a touchdown two seasons ago against that defense that was – really hard to score on and, and Tennessee didn't really score on them again until the game was well in hand in the fourth quarter of that one two years ago. So um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And I also have to just play better on, on the lines of scrimmage. I think that's where it has to start. Um, and that's a big ask because we know Georgia is always really, really good on their offensive line and on their defensive line. I think Tennessee has to be able to run the ball, uh, get that running game going again with, with, with Jalen Wright and those guys. Uh, I think Joe Milton has to be a factor running the football uh, as well, whether that's, you know, on the zone read game, whether that's some design runs that, that are called from the sidelines, some quarterback draws, things like that. Uh, he's had good moments when they've run it. Sometimes they maybe haven't run it enough. Uh, and defensively, it, it has to start on the defensive line. That group has to bring it this week. They have to, to bottle things up when Georgia tries to run the ball and try to try to get Georgia in third and long. That's, that's all you can do. And then try to get after the quarterback and, and hope that you can hang on and coverage long enough against uh, all the weapons that they have. It was kind of funny uh, yesterday after practice, we were talking to uh, Brian Jean-Marie, Tennessee's linebackers coach, and, and he was asked about Brock Bowers only having a couple catches against Tennessee last season. And the question was phrased, like, what did you guys do to stop him? And he was like, I didn't say that. I didn't say we stopped him. You know, you know, we don't have a defense that like locks them up or anything like that. He was definitely not trying to have words put in his mouth there. But um, that's, you know, that that's going to be a challenge. Tennessee's been struggling defending the middle of the field tight ends have had some good games against them obviously Cody Schrader running back had a, had a huge game against them as a receiver last week so um, but I think they've got to be able to uh, get Georgia in some some predictable situations maybe you know get them in some third and eights and third and nines and that's got to start with stopping the run and then you got to try to get after them and, and try to get them uncomfortable and, and get the crowd making noise and maybe you get a false start that makes it third and 13 and, and you got to try to get off the field that that's where it's got to start I think for me um, and Tennessee, obviously, you know, if they can find an advantage in special teams, uh, their punter was their best player last week in Jackson Ross. He can punt with both feet. Um, he's an Aussie who, who kind of rugby styles it and, and has, has been really good at pinning teams deep. Maybe you get a situation like that where you can you know take advantage of it, unlike they were able to last week. But I think it's got to start with the crowd because, you know, home field advantage is, is going to be biggest is going to be Tennessee's biggest edge in this game because um, there's really not a lot of places on the field where, uh, against this Georgia team, which is looking as, uh, you know, it's looking to have as as few vulnerabilities as its two predecessors. Um, you know, it, it's hard to find an area where Tennessee is going to have an advantage. So they've got to make the one that they do have, and that's the venue. Uh, they've got to make that one count in, in a big way, and, and that's going to start with playing better and, and playing harder and, and making enough plays that, that weren't made last week. Yeah, mentioning the crowd, I'm not sure if I've ever heard Sanford Stadium louder than it was last year for that really highly. Yeah, me neither, honestly. Yeah, and uh, I do think that's going to matter. Um, I'll give my score prediction read off uh, the score predictions of uh, stat the rest of the staff at Dogs 24-7. I'm going to say Georgia wins 31-20. to I think it's going to be a very competitive game. Georgia's kind of struggled a little bit on the road this year. Auburn, they were playing from behind. Basically just had to lean on Brock Bowers in the fourth quarter and sort of let Brock be Brock, and they wind up winning that game. Vanderbilt, you know, it wasn't exactly a raucous road environment, but it sort of was like Georgia was playing with its food for a little bit, and then Carson Beck nearly throws a pick six, and it's uh, nearly a two-possession game there at the end. Um, so I think it's going to be competitive. Uh, I think my biggest thing is just Georgia – 
as you mentioned, Patrick, has to win in the trenches. I think whoever wins the uh, in the trenches is able to run the football. It's going to matter a whole lot. Georgia's coming off its best game of the season as far as running the football. I want to see if they can continue that. And to your point, too, when you factor in crowd noise, uh, when you factor in uh, what that effect can have on an offense, you know, two weeks ago when they played Missouri, when that game was super tight, Georgia struggled on first and second down. Their average yards to gain on third down was seven. And you cannot do that really at any point. But if you're playing on the road, giving an opponent's crowd a chance to get loud, it can cause a whole lot of issues. So I think it's going to be competitive. I think that Georgia does wind up winning 31 to 20. Um, but I think Tennessee is going to make Georgia sweat throughout this game. Uh, reading off some of the other predictions, uh, Benjamin Wolk has Georgia 30, 34 to 24. Uh, he says Dejon Edwards controls the fourth quarter, uh, ices the game late in the action. And Kip Adams has Georgia 35 24. He says Malachi Starks has two interceptions in this game. So uh, they are expecting some big plays, which I think uh, no matter what, I, I do think it's going to be a pretty competitive game. Even though Tennessee does not have the East on the line, I think they understand that uh, there's still uh, pride to play for, and I think it's going to make for a really good game. Yeah, I, I would agree, Jordan. I, I'd probably be in the same ballpark. We'll, we're going to have our score predictions on, on Friday afternoon at, at GoVols 24-7. I'm probably in the in the 10 to 14 range. Probably I'll probably pick Georgia by a couple touchdowns. Uh, I do think Tennessee will play better than it did last week. Uh, they can't honestly play that much worse. Um, and they're just a team that plays better at home. Uh, and I think they know that. I think that'll help. I think that'll get their confidence going and they'll be sharper. Um, you know, but ultimately Georgia's probably just going to have too much, uh, too much firepower, too much on defense. And, and, and again, Georgia's the, really the only defense that's, that's had Tennessee's number in the past two seasons, you know, Tennessee's offense under Josh Heupel has put up a lot of points and a lot of yards. And, you know, those two Georgia games were the ones that, that really before this year were a couple of the lower scoring games that they've had. So, uh, I'll be interested to see if Tennessee can generate any more success against this Georgia defense. And um, it, I, I think it'll be competitive too. I, I, again, if you're, if you're Tennessee, as you touched on, you touched on pride. I mean, if you win this game, it sort of changes the narrative of your season, right? I mean, um, it, it gives you another famous win. And, and like I said, Heupel's beaten Alabama. He's beaten Florida. They beat Clemson and LSU last season as well. Georgia's the only team they, they really haven't beaten yet. And uh, even Cooper Mays made a, uh, reference that early, earlier this week when he said that Georgia is the one kind of rivalry game that, that, that he hasn't won yet. So, um, you know, the, I, I think Tennessee will be fired up. I think they'll, they'll come out and, and play competitively. But uh, again, Georgia's just every time you, that anybody thinks to start questioning Georgia or they get pushed a little bit, they always seem to respond. And um, that that's what made this program so great. And, and it's why they've won a couple of national titles in a row. And prior the favorites to win a third and, and probably I would expect them to win a third right uh, at this point too. So, um, but I, I think Tennessee, will, I hope they give them a good game. I, I don't want to watch another blowout. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys are sick of covering blowouts too. Uh, and, and probably want to see Georgia get pushed a little bit, see how they respond and have some drama to worry about in the second half. So uh, hopefully Tennessee can, uh, you know, I, I think they've got some players that can, can make that happen. But uh, again, I think Georgia's, you know, Georgia's Georgia at this point, you know, you got to play perfect to beat them and, uh, even if you play great, it might not matter anyway, and uh, that could be the case. So I, I'd probably lean Georgia by uh, – I think the line's 10. I'd probably pick Georgia to cover and, and probably go with a two-touchdown spread. That's probably where I'm leaning at this point here a couple of days before I have to uh, actually send my prediction in. 
Patrick, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast with us. Uh, just let everybody know where they can follow you, where they can follow you guys at Go Vols 24-7, and anything you guys are cooking up before game day on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, we are at, uh, I think it's Tennessee.247sports.com. We're at, at Go Vols 24-7 on Twitter. I'm P. Brown 247 on Twitter if you want to get my mentions and yell at me. Um, or you can just uh, you can probably tag me on, on, uh, on the junkyard um we get notifications that way too so um we'll have our usual uh like i said we'll have our, our score predictions on friday uh i'll do an in-depth uh, matchups piece uh, on thursday probably we'll see if i can get it in on uh get it posted on thursday with, with some of the other stuff going on um but that that's usually where i you know i kind of pick advantages obviously it'll be heavy georgia advantage in a lot of them but um that's always one of our, our staple things and um, and, and yeah, we'll have our bowl predictions too, a little bit like uh, kind of what Kip's saying. A certain player will have two interceptions. That's sort of uh, we do something like that as well on Fridays. And, and obviously, ten, you know, we'll have an injury report as best we can uh, on Friday as well. So, uh, lots of coverage here over the next uh, few days over on Google's two four seven, and I'm sure you guys uh, will as well at Dogs two four seven as we get ready for this game. We'll wrap it up right there. Make sure and uh, go to dogs247.com. Go to govols247.com. Go check out all the content for us, all the uh, info on this football team, also the men's basketball team. They're going to be playing on the in the Bahamas on Friday. Patrick, I'm really upset. You know, I will Where say that's going? Nice, Yeah, I mean, that, it's a nice consolation to go to Knoxville, Tennessee instead. I mean, you know, if you could do one or the other, I, I guess I can take that and make the most of it. Uh, but uh, also go to Dogs247 on YouTube. You can watch this podcast. You can watch Kirby Smart interviews, player interviews, Mike White press conferences, Georgia men's basketball interviews as well. So we'll wrap it up right there. For Patrick Brown, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody. Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.